0: First few chapters of Isaiah. We're gonna in a couple of a few weeks actually, we're gonna uh go on to something else for a little while and then come back to Isaiah. But but we have a couple more things that, that we want to hit on here. And and so we're gonna continue on. It'll be chapter three, starting at verse 16, and we'll go all, all the way through chapter four, which chapter four is only six verses, but uh chapters uh three, sixteen through uh chapter four. And to set this up the uh we've had the woes of of the coming judgment. Uh, you'll notice that in verses nine of chapter three and verses eleven. woe uh that that gets mentioned a couple times. Uh, woe to the wicked and so that was the the coming judgment. Then there was the court scene, if you will, in verses thirteen through fifteen and and that established the justice of the judgment. God sees what is happening and and it will be judged and, and God is just, the, the justice of, of the judgment. And in this passage, we are going to see the uh, sentence executed, if you will, judgment coming down. Also, as we go through this passage, we're going to see something beautiful and glorious when we get to the end of it. But we'll get there. Let's first of all, uh, read the passage, Isaiah chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. The Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet, Therefore, the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands, and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, and the amulets, the signet rings and nose rings, The festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks, and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans, and the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. And instead of a belt, a rope. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. And instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth. And branding instead of beauty, Your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in battle. And her gates shall lament and mourn. Empty, she shall sit on the ground. And seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleanse the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its mist by a spirit of judgment, and by a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion, and over her assemblies a cloud by day, and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the for over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat, and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we look at it, we pray that your truth will shine forth, that you will speak to our hearts, that we will glorify you more, Lord, in your truth and that you will speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I uh, realized this week that um, it's been a while since I've used a 1980s reference, and I want to correct that this morning. I know some of us like, love our 1980s references, and, and I thought of one this week uh Billy Crystal if you remember him back in the mid 80s uh and he would uh play this uh kind of smarmy character every now and then and had this goofy accent and and uh you look marvelous if, if you remember that and he even had a song that was it, a, it was a parody of course it was a big spoof and the song was called you look marvelous and I remember some of the lines from the song "Believe It or Not" uh, from the mid '80s, and and one of them that kind of took off a life of its own uh, is is part of the song. He would he didn't really sing it; he kind of talked it more than anything. But he said, "And this is from my heart, which is deep inside my body. It is better to look good than to feel good." And that phrase took a whole life of its own. It is better to look good than to feel good. And, and he would say that and, and do different uh, bits with other comedians uh, with that little bit. Better to look good than to feel good. And the reason spoofs work sometimes and are so effective, and, and why this one was so effective, is not only did he play the character really well, but it reveals something about humanity. Or something about society. It's better to look good than to feel good. Crystal was basically saying, you know, the ultimate good is to look good. Better to look good than to feel good. Better to look good than to actually be good. Just look good. And when you're looking good, make sure people notice that you're looking good. That was kind of a whole bit. Well, when we look at this passage, We have these daughters of Zion, and they're looking good. But is that really the ultimate good? That's what Isaiah points out. The Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty. Now, first of all, before we move on with these daughters of Zion, let's go back a little bit. In chapter 2, verse 11, you will notice it talks about uh, the haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. So we started with the men back in chapter two. They were haughty and they were prideful. The early part of chapter three, we talked a little bit about the leaders who had gone bad and And kept acquiring more at the expense of others, oppressing the poor so that they could have more. And so now we get to the daughters of Zion. And as one commentator put it, true sisters of Zion's men. They're all in this together. They're all haughty. They're all prideful. They're all about looking good. But not really being good. And here they are, haughty, walking with outstretched necks, their heads held high, partly so that you can see the nice necklaces that they're wearing, this jewelry that they have, but also just that idea of walking with this pride. Everything that they do, when, when you read this, you, you notice everything that they're doing is designed to attract attention. Their posture, their demeanor, their movement, their ornaments, the way they bat their eyes, it's all to attract attention. Not that they're... luxurious lifestyle per se is what Isaiah is getting at. But notice where he starts with this, the haughtiness, the pridefulness of it all. And they're skipping along as they go, that's mincing. Some of these words are kind of hard to uh, translate, my translation says mincing along, they're, they're skipping along, they're, they're attracting attention. And, and we're not going to look at everything because, like I said, some of these things, it's hard to get the precise meaning, but they've oppressed the poor to acquire these things, and they're really proud of, of everything they have. The Lord will will strike them, it says, and and in chapter seventeen, which is a, or I should say, verse seventeen, which is a hard one to to translate, but but the meaning is is coming out clear is that these women are setting out to attract, but but the act of judgment is actually going to make this all repellent, and and the, in this act of judgment, in that day, there will be. Uh, the Lord's going to take away these things. And, and look at everything they have that the Lord will take away the, the anklets, the headbands, the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, the scarves. The list goes on and on. The headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, the amulets, the signet rings, the nose rings. I mean, he just keeps going. The festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks, the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans, the veils. Uh, as one notes, the rhetorical purpose for such a lengthy list is to impress on the audience the guilt of these women with their proud, materialistic attitude, whose husbands and fathers have profited at the expense of the poor, and, and that uh, comes from the NET bible notes but but they're very proud of what they have. Though it came at the expense of, of the poor, though they had to oppress a few people, but it 's all about looking good, right And right now I, I can see the concerned look on people 's face even even as you sit here and and you 're thinking well i 'm great looking what a is this bad and and you 're right, you look marvelous." <laughs> And it's not bad to be looking good. This can be taken to an extreme. And and we've probably known people, I have known people or know groups who, who take this to an extreme. And they'll say, well, women can't wear any jewelry and they can't put on any makeup. They can't do anything that might make them look good. Again, there's no sin in enjoying life's good things. And we see that in scripture. Where sometimes God is giving people great things, great plenty, and it wasn't bad. There were some very beautiful women. Abraham had a beautiful wife, and that was a good thing. It's okay to be good looking, so you, some of you can settle down. It's, it's fine. And yeah, you know who you are, <laughs> which was another Billy Crystal thing, by the way. But the sin here is the arrogance and the pride and the oppression. And in the New Testament, we get some uh, equivalents. I don't know if equivalent is the right word, but but a couple of New Testament writers saying the same things that sometimes gets misused as well. One of them is Paul when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, Timothy writes this, I desire then that in every place men should pray, he starts with the men too, men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And by the way, how's that going, men? Uh, Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, modesty and self-control, not with the braided hair and the gold or pearls or costly attire, but here's what he's getting at, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works? It's, it's about the heart. Be more concerned about the heart than what you're putting on. Peter will say the same thing in, in 1 Peter chapter 3. He's talking to wives, do not let your adorning be external. And I could say, do not let it be merely external. And then he talks about the braiding of hair and the gold jewelry and the clothing. And you can see this was an issue back then as well. But Peter continues, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. That's what God is really after here your heart, your soul, your spirit. The Puritan Thomas Manton writes this, When dressing of the body takes up too much of our hearts and time so as to cause us to neglect the inward, ador- inward adorning, and by it we are tempted to pride Certainly there is a sin in fashions themselves, but the greatest sin is the pride of the heart. Outward adornment belongs to the pomp of the world, but the inward adornment is our spiritual glory and excellency. The outward adorning is to please men, but the inward adorning pleaseth God. Now we should rather please God than men, Better never to please men than offend God. And here, Judah has been all about pleasing men, but they've offended God. They've offended God for a long time. And for these daughters of Zion, life's most cherished fulfillments are negated by their sin. When you look at verse 24, notice the word instead. It stands out five times. Uh, one, uh, one theologian puts out, it, it sounds out like a death knell. Boom, boom, instead, instead, and, it, and that's what it is. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, baldness, which is beautiful. Instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth, and branding instead of beauty. All these things you are going for, and you're getting something else instead, and it's rotten. It's not good. Your men shall fall by the sword, your mighty men in battle. And by the way, this happens in the very near future. Babylon is going to come and destroy Jerusalem and people will be exiled. Many of the men, most of the men actually will be killed. The women will be taken as plunder, branded as someone else's property. This is going to happen to them for their sin and her gates shall lament, and mourn, talking about Jerusalem empty, she shall sit, and and seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, we'll eat our own bread and wear our own clothes, only let us be called by your name, take away our reproach. Now, remember back in chapter 2, right at the end, in, in verse 22 of chapter 2, stop regarding man for what account is he, there was this whole idea of don't put your trust in man. And the men have did that, have done that in their worldly social strength and in their military strength. They, they did that, and look what happens to them. They end up, most of them, getting killed, the rest of them uh, in exile. The women have given all to their allurements. To, to find a man. And, and in the end, there's no takers. Most of them are dead. There's no takers. And, and in that culture that we can't really fully understand, but in that culture of that day, to be unmarried and childless was humiliating. It also left you with very few options about uh, earning money. and And the women here are saying to whatever man they can still find alive, you don't have to provide for us. We'll figure out our own food and figure out our own clothes. Basically, they're saying, you don't even have to like us. Just take away our reproach. Don't have, You don't have to do anything for us. Just give us a name. Let us pretend we're married. Take away our reproach. And Jerusalem, as I mentioned in verse 26, is depicted as empty and in mourning and useless, basically, which is a fitting metaphor for the people who once lived in her. Mourning and useless. Well, the great thing here is that God doesn't let men have the last word. God doesn't let their sinfulness have the last word. Otherwise, this is where we would all be mourning and useless. But praise God for his beauty and his glory and his mercy because we come to that phrase again in that day, that day which we've talked about for a few weeks as we've gone through Isaiah, that day which could be terrifying and will be to some people terrifying. And that's what we actually expect to find when we first come to that phrase of if you hadn't read this before, and and weren't looking at it and just hearing it when that phrase in that day comes, your mind would recoil in dread, almost. Oh no, here it comes. Here it comes. But contrary to all expectation, there's this message of glory, and there's this message of survival, and it's all from God. It's all of God's mercy. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And there's a phrase there branch of the Lord. You can go ahead to Isaiah chapter 11 if you wanted to peek a little bit ahead. You can see this branch is speaking of the Messiah, speaking of Jesus. And other prophets use this phrase as well to refer to Jesus, the branch of the Lord, and he will have true beauty and true glory. And he will make his people beautiful and glorious in the way God sees beauty. And the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel all who's left in Zion, remains in Jerusalem, will be called holy. And that word holy is an important word in this passage because with that word, we enter into the, the theological reality that Isaiah is getting at, the, the theological reality behind the survival. They will be spiritually changed. They will be holy. Their hearts will be changed, given a new spirit. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. And here's another great phrase, and we'll get to another time, but, but just quickly, this recorded for life, there's this concept of this book of destiny, if you will. And, and this will come up later as well. But on a lower level even, something they would have understood, there's this uh, register for citizens of a city. And, and everyone in the ancient world knew about that, that your, your name was in this book, and you were a, a, a person, a citizen of, of that city. And you can see it, uh, it gets mentioned in Exodus 32, uh, Psalm 69, uh, Daniel 12 mentions it, Malachi 3, it comes up uh, time and time again. And of course, it gets, uh, in the New Testament, taken to a new level. When Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 10, your name's recorded in the book of heaven. It's mentioned in Philippians 4. And some other places, uh, Revelation 21, at the end of 21, talks about the book of life. The ancient world would have understood that more than we we do. Uh, One theologian writes, to have survived the calamity is no accident, but arises from an elective decision of the Lord. They're recorded in this book of life for Jerusalem. And and the Lord will have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion. And when you look at that word filth, uh, it's a good translation. That, that, that's a good way to translate. It could have been translated much more graphically and pretty gross if they had wanted to. They, they did us a favor by translating it filth. But, but when you look at What's being called filth here? Well, go back and see all these things that they had. The anklets, the headbands, the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, on and on and on. I won't go through the whole list again. It's it's filth. But what made that filthy was their pride, was their haughtiness. And in the end, It was disgusting filthiness. You can't try to dress up pride. Behind all the jewelry, God will see the filth of the pride. You can't put enough perfume on the haughtiness. It's still a stench that God smells to get rid of that filth. We need it washed away by the Messiah, by Christ. And he talks about the the cleansing, the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment, by a spirit of burning. There's this this idea of of a total dealing with sin. And that idea of, of burning and refining, that also gets picked up in the New Testament. We'll, we'll come to that a little bit later as well. One of the places, though, Peter writes about it in 1 Peter 1, he writes, The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, the tested genuineness of your faith. That's what will result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus comes in that day. And so, what we see in this passage, in a lot of this, is the daughters of Zion. Notice how they start. They're the embodiment, if you will, of, of this pridefulness, this haughtiness, this filth. But they become the focus of divine cleansing. In, in chapter 4, verse 4. They're after this frenzied pursuit of false beauty in chapter three, verses 16 and 18, but notice it finds its satisfaction in the true beauty of chapter four, verse two. Earlier in the chapter, there's this failure of leadership that marked the doom of the city in chapter three, verses two through seven about. But now, now we see the city overshadowed by the Exodus symbols of God's leadership. Did you notice that in verse 5 of chapter 4? These symbols, the, the cloud and the fire, and that's how God led Israel back in Exodus chapter 13. Once again, God leading them. And then the comfort of knowing that the Lord, who is the judge, and we see that in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and is is also the Redeemer in chapter 4, verses 2 and 4 and 5. And this is not a call, uh, to repeat, this is not a call, nor is it an excuse to look bad, You know, the Pharisees, they tried that trick when they would fast and they would look just horrible. You know, they wanted everybody to know that what they were doing and and Jesus called them out on that. It's not an excuse to look bad. It's not even a call to try to look bad. But it is a reminder that we set our minds on a higher level. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount towards the end of that was talking and, and one of the things uh, he was mentioning was people will ask, what do we eat? And then what will we wear? And Jesus uh, mentions that, the what will we wear? And, and these are the words of Jesus. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and he'll give you what he gives you then. Seek his righteousness. Seek his true, eternal beauty and glory. Seek his righteousness. Get your heart fixed on him. As Peter says, that's what's precious in God's sight. That's where your true beauty lies. However fantastic and marvelous you look right now, God's looking at your heart. And that's where he will put his true beauty and his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words of comfort, your words of truth, your promise that we can come to you and through Christ be forgiven of all of our sins and have our filth taken away and be beautiful in your eyes. Lord, forgive us of our pride, of our haughtiness. May we understand that it is better to do good and be good in your sight than to look good to men. Lord, keep us focused on your beauty, that we may reflect that. Through Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.